Good morning. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the teachers, one of the leaders here at Ethos. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, it's on page 688. If you're using one of our Bibles, uh, feel free to turn there. I'd love for you to read along with us uh, today as we are uh, jumping into Matthew chapter 18. Uh, we're in a teaching series and have been for the past five or six weeks that, we are called, uh, that we're calling Belonging and Becoming the Family of God. And we've looked at some really good things about the things that Scripture tell us about what it means to be part of God's family. And so we looked at this idea that God is our Father and, and that together we relate to each other, not just as like random acquaintances that sit beside each other on Sundays, but as, as brothers and as sisters. We looked at this idea that, that we exist for something bigger than just our family unit, that we exist for the world and for the good of the world. We talked about this idea that we are a graceful community, a truthful community that we are a spiritually gifted community. And today, we're going to continue our conversation talking about what it means to be a part of, of God's family, how to belong and how we're becoming the thing that He wants us to be. And so uh, the nature of the conversation that we're going to be having today is a little bit more intense. And, and, and so I'm excited to, to jump into this together, but just kind of want to let you know about that on the front end. You know, I believe that the passage that we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, I believe that we see the heart of God in this passage in such a beautiful way. Um, I believe that we see the depths of the faithfulness and the steadfastness and the commitment and the deep love that God has for His family for us. And so what we're going to be talking about today, you're like, okay, quit holding me in suspense. What are we talking about? We're going to be talking about how we as brothers and sisters deal with each other when we sin. You're like, wait a minute, how, how does that reveal the faithfulness and the commitment and the goodness and the love of God um, in, in the midst of talking about how we deal with sin in our community? And I was just kind of reading through this passage of Scripture this week, and I just kept thinking about how in a perfect world, this text doesn't even exist in the Scriptures. You know, this passage is all about how we deal with sin when we stumble in it. And I just was reminded of the faithfulness of God towards us. And so think about this with me, that, that in the scriptures, this, the, the eternal scriptures, they can't be erased, they can't be edited. There's this section that tells us about what we are to do in our community when we, when we sin, when we stumble. You know, what we learn in scripture is that God hates sin. He just hates it. He despises what it is and what it does to us, what it does to Him. And yet at the same time, as much as God hates sin, He knows that there will be times when we stumble, when we fall into sin that we will have moments of weakness, where we are not sober-minded, where we will do the things that we know we ought not to do. And I love what this passage shows us because it shows us that God knows all those things. And yet His love remains, His covenant remains, even in the midst of our sinning. But God, God's deep love for us, wants us to step out of our sin and to come back to Him into the covenant relationship that He has for us. And so, you know, the reality is that sometimes when we sin, we, we know it immediately. I mean, I can tell you so many times, I'm just such a, a broken man, how often I will sin and the Holy Spirit will instantly just convict me. And I know that you're the same way, that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, there are moments where God just instantly comes and He convicts you and we confess and we repent and we get back into this, this relationship that God has for us. But the reality is that there are some times where we're just not thinking clearly. We're not seeing clearly that sin has this way of intoxicating us. And for whatever reason, God wants us as a family to be a part of helping each other step back into relationship with no hindrance, with no sin, with no brokenness. And so this is our passage, Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15. It's just three verses. 
But we're going to walk through these. And this is, this is what Jesus says, written down by Matthew, one of Jesus' apostles. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. This is a word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 18. So this passage is so important, I believe, to, to not just believers, but to a family of believers. But I also want us to understand that, that this passage of Scripture, these three verses, is, is in the middle of a bigger teaching that Jesus was giving this day, that Jesus didn't just show up one day and, and, and say these three words and then leave and go back to doing whatever Jesus was doing. No, that, that this was in the middle of a, of a sermon that he was giving. And I think what, what, what it seems to be happening that all around this text, both before this passage in uh, the middle of chapter 18 and after the passage, that what Jesus is doing is he's helping us become people that, he's, that, that are like him to the core of who we are, like in the deepest places in our hearts that what Jesus, I believe he's doing in Matthew 18, is helping us understand the way that he is and he's inviting us to be just like him. And so the, the beginning of Matthew chapter 18, he says this strange thing in verses one through five and he says, you must become like children. You know, the thing about children, I think, is that, that he's trying to emphasize is that children have this way of just forgiving so easily. They have these moldable, these humble spirits you're like, Brandon, you haven't met my kids. My kids do not have humble spirits. They don't have moldable spirits. And, uh, but I think that's what, he, what he's getting at, this reality that, that children just have this way of in humility understanding that they are to receive instruction and feedback from other people and they receive it. He says, become like a child. Right after that, in verses 6 through 9, he, he looks at the same group of people and he says, I want you to understand the seriousness of your life and how the choices that you make the sinful choices that you make, how they impact other people. And I want you to understand that, that if you choose to use your life to lead other people into sin and destruction, it's no good. He keeps going in verses 10 through 14, and he says, I want you to understand the, the way that God views just one person. I want you to understand the value that one person has that has moved away from God and what God feels and what God does. I want you to understand the way that, that God perceives a sinner that runs away from him. In the end of Matthew chapter 18, there's this section where Jesus is talking to Peter and Peter says to Jesus, okay, how often should I forgive my brother and my sister when they sin against me? And he said, should I do this seven, seven times? And Jesus says, no, I want you to forgive them for the rest of your life as many times as they come back to you. And Peter's like, wow. You see, I believe what, what was happening in Matthew chapter 18 in the midst of this conversation it's so much more than just about how to confront believers in their sin. No, I think Jesus is trying to get at our hearts as Christians. And he looks at us and he says, Church, do you, do you really care about sin on a heart level? Like, do you actually care what sin does to you and to the people that are sitting next to you? Do you, do you, do you care? Do you want to be a brother or a sister to Jesus, to the King that will partner with Him to restore God's wayward sons and daughters when they've gotten hung up in sin? Do you want to be a part of that? And do you see the value in humility? And see, all of this is, is wrapped up in the conversation that we're having today. It's so much more than just a conversation about confronting sin. No, it's this beautiful, this dance of humility and seeing things like God and having our hearts completely in tune 
like God. And so this is the, the conversation that we're going to be having. Starting in verse 15, I want us to walk through these verses. Jesus says this in verse 15, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen, you have won them over. A couple things I want to mention here. That Jesus is talking to Christians. And he says, Christians, this is the way that you are to, to act and to deal with other Christians. See, I don't think Jesus, he doesn't seem to be talking uh, into the situations about how we interact with our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends that aren't followers of Jesus. No, this is a conversation about the family of God, about how you deal with your brothers and sisters who've been filled with the Spirit, how you interact with them and their sin. This is not a conversation about people that aren't in the family of God, I don't believe. There's also another beautiful detail in this that I don't want us to, to miss, that he says, hey, when, when a brother or sister sins, go to them. And he says this line, it's just between the two of you. And I just kept thinking, what if we actually learned to do this? What if we learned to lay aside gossip? To not bring others into something when it's not their business? I go, how much more beautiful would that be than the way that we so often do? where we will see something or we will hear about something. And instead of going to that person, we go to everyone else and we tell all the things that we've heard and seen and, and we do everything but go to the person. I go, it is so much easier to talk about people than to talk to people, right? And I wonder what that would do in our family when we start embracing this. I wonder how much life this will bring to our community by us actually stepping into this. When someone says you go directly to them and you keep your mouth shut until you talk to them. I wonder what this does to the world around us. I wonder if the, the world, if our culture would start to trust us as Christians. You know, they might not be convinced that Jesus is the only way. They might not even care. But when they see us and they go, man, every time I, I see Deb, she's never talking about someone. And when I interact with Emily, you know, I've never heard her slander someone's name. And when I'm hanging out with Cyrus, man, that that, that guy is never talking about people behind their backs. And 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 and, and pulling people into conversations that they don't need to be a part of. And I wonder how different, how outstanding the church could be in this culture just by keeping our mouths shut. You know, another piece of this verse, um, there is some, some room for confusion, I believe, because uh, right off of the bat in the Bibles, right after in our Bibles, right after um, the, this word sins, there's this little letter, and maybe you see it in your Bible, it's in mine, and that same little letter that's kind of up in the right, it, cor it corresponds with the same letter at the very bottom of our Bibles. And at the very bottom of our Bibles, the bottom of this page, it says something along the lines of this, that, that some manuscripts say sins against you. What they're saying there is that, that some of the translations, they say, hey, when, when a brother or sister sins against you, and then some translations say, man, when they, when they sin. And I was thinking about that. That's a, that's a pretty big difference. Is Jesus talking to us about the way that we deal with people who sin against us? That's one way of, of, of hearing that. Or, or is Jesus giving us the authority to essentially be uh, the spiritual police? Right? That's, that's what this could look like. I want to help frame our conversation a little bit, though, to kind of give us a little bit more depth and color to what we're talking about here. And so think about this with me. What is your disposition when you do something wrong and when you get corrected? So let's just say you're speeding down, um, down the street and a cop pulls you over. 
how do you react when, when they pull you over? Or when your boss um, looks at the work that you've done and there are some errors in it and they, and they call you out, how do you respond when, respond when, you are, when you're wrong? Do you, are you humble? Are you receptive? Are you defensive? Are you in denial? Do you blame someone else? And, and I just was thinking about my own life. You know, my wife, Courtney, she will call me out on things. And what I've learned is if I will just bite my tongue first, and if I will just hear what she is saying instead of just reacting because I feel attacked, if I will be more concerned about hearing what she's saying than I am defending my actions, if I will just give some time to deciphering if what she's saying is actually true, well, how much better those nights turn out in the steel house? <laughs> so I ask you, what is your disposition when you are wrong? Another question to think about, what's your disposition when you see other people in the wrong, when you see them mess up? Do you find satisfaction in, in humbling them? Do you like rub your hands together? I'm like, all right, I get to put them in their place. Or, or when you see someone fall and stumble, are you going, ah, oh, do you just hurt? I want to help them. And the reason I bring these questions up is because I believe this is so much more than just a guideline to be followed. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. This is so much more than just a guideline to, to what we do when so-and-so sins. No, this is about our heart. I'm not going to speak into the... Um, I'm not going to clear this up for us. Number one, because I just I don't know, but I don't know how to interpret it. Should we interpret this as, hey, every time someone sins against you, you do it, or every time you see someone sin? I'm not going to clear that up because I'm not very sure exactly what I even, what I even believe about this. But I do want to uh, encourage us to adopt a, a heart disposition that when you see a brother or a sister sin, and when you are feeling led to talk to them, that, that this is your heart disposition, that three words, that you're careful, that you're thoughtful, that you're prayerful, you know, so often we can follow this template that Jesus gives us, but we can miss the heart. That you can go in and do the exact same, the exact right things, but with the wrong motives, and it just ends in just this catastrophe. I invite you to be, to be careful instead of careless. I invite you to be thoughtful. I want you to think about the, the ways that people have um, given you feedback and corrected you and how you receive them. And it's usually because you've seen in them just a kindness and a warmth. And I encourage us to have that same kindness and warmth in our hearts. And I encourage you to be prayerful. That these moments are going to come up that because we are, are, are sinful people that stumble. That we're going to have to keep confronting each other. And that's not a bad thing. But I want to invite us as we go to have those conversations to not be excited to home people. But that we fall on our knees before and we just ask the Holy Spirit, Hey, would you help me to, to re react just like you, Jesus? Help me to, to have your words and your heart disposition so that we go into that conversation. And we're not uh, finding joy and putting them in their place. No, we go with the exact same attitude and heart of Jesus. And I wonder how many brothers and sisters will, will bypass seasons of, of separation from God and shame because we're willing to go to them, not just with the right words, but with the right heart disposition. I remember when I was younger and sinning against someone that I loved and, and they never said anything to me about it. They just let it slide. And I know why, because it is so much easier just to let things slide, right? 
it just is the confrontation, especially those of you who don't like confrontation. You know, those of you who do like confrontation, this is not a problem. But, but for those of us who do, that this is this is just easier to let it slide and to, to say nothing. And I go, man, but why does God in Matthew 18, why does he involve us? I, I don't know. I wish that, that God would just deal with all the sin himself and that he would leave us out of that. But, but, I, but I know that he tells us, I want you to be a part of this family, part of restoring each other. And what I know is that when we do this with care, when we confront people in sin, confront our brothers and sisters, we learn to lean on the Holy Spirit. We learn grace. We learn compassion. And hopefully they learn to see how much we actually care about them. That we would come to them despite the awkwardness, despite the confrontation, and we would speak into the things because we actually care about them. I told this story several times, but I remember a friend of mine um, a long time ago, man, he just following the Lord, and then he just falls off the, the wagon. He starts running from God, and he spent about uh, six months just rebunning, re- 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 rebelling and running from God. You can use that word. And he just, he, he kept running from God. And I remember him calling me one night and saying, hey, I want you to come over. And so I remember going to, over to his house and walking in his room. And he looked at me and said, hey, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you come after me when I was running from God? You said nothing. Do you not care? And I just remember being so convicted. That is so much easier that we're going to see things, that we're going to see our brothers and sisters stumble and fall. And Jesus says, hey, we have the courage to not just do this, but to do it the right way. Oh, what good words from Jesus. I wish it stopped here. I wish this is the way that it ended. I wish we just had verse 16. When you sin, go to them. Hey, everything's good. But the reality is that's not always the way that life works. And so he keeps writing in verse 16. He says, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter might be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so this is a quote from the Old Testament and how things worked back in their culture, the world that they lived in. And so um, the, the culture they lived in is that, that no one could be accused and convicted of something unless there were several witnesses. And so this is actually to uphold justice, to make sure that one corrupt person couldn't accuse and convict an innocent person of doing something they didn't do. And so I think what Jesus is doing here is I don't think he's saying, hey, you, you can't talk to a brother or sister unless two or three people see them sin. No, I think what he's saying is, hey, bring another person with you and have that person be a witness to help appeal to bring that person who has sinned back. You see, and I want to encourage us as, as a family, as one of your leaders, to be prayerful about who you ask. And I hope it never gets to this point in our church. I hope that we never ever have to do this, that that. When we sin, that we take the first part so serious that one person goes and that no one else knows and that the the sin is repented from and that we're walking with God. But if it doesn't happen and we have to to live into this, man, be prayerful about who you ask. See, the person that you're going to invite isn't just a witness to the conversation. I believe that there's someone who who cares deeply about the person. They should be someone who cares deeply about the person who's stumbled, who's living in sin. And the purpose is not to gang up on them, no, but to have two people pleading with them to show them how much this is affecting the community and how much we need them and miss them and how destructive the sin is. Jesus says this in verse 17. He says, But if they still refuse to listen to the two or three, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So in their culture, a pagan tax collector, these were essentially the poster children for for those who were deliberately rebellious against God, who wanted nothing to do with God. And Jesus says, hey, when when it gets to this point, 
treat them this way as if they're living in complete rebellion to God. See, I've read this passage before and I've always, I've always thought about it from the standpoint of, man, this, this just seems so harsh. This can't be right. Like, this must have been a typo. Jesus wouldn't have said that. And, and just to be completely honest, I've, I've not always taken this seriously and obeyed it. I've done parts of this. I've kept parts of this. But I've treated this passage much more as a suggestion than I have Jesus' instruction. And this is me even confessing that so I can walk in repentance. But for whatever reason, as I was, as I was reading this passage, as we, I was thinking about what we're going to be talking about, I, as I read it, I just kept thinking about it from a different standpoint. I kept thinking about the great pride that would have to reside in someone's heart that would even lead to the, the, the full manifestation of living out this text. You know, if I sinned and you came to me and you said, Brandon, you did this to me or I saw you do this, and if in that moment, just between the two of us, I lied or I refused to listen to you, and then you follow the biblical instruction from Jesus, our King, and you, you, you bring someone else, someone who loves me and someone who you trust and someone you've prayed about, and, and you bring them to me and you say, Brandon, I saw you do this and I brought this person along because we love you and we don't want you to keep living in this sin. And if I deny it, if I lie about it, if I'm in, um, if I don't care, and if they bring it to the church and, and they tell my church family, they tell you, hey, Brandon, you've done this sin and you're refusing to, to do anything about it. Man, if I refused to listen to any of those, I refused to listen to all of those, how sad that would be. To choose sin, to choose stubbornness at the cost of relationship. And it just hit me that that is what pride can do. That's what pride can do in heart. And so what do we do with this? Um, you know, for those of you who are Christians, let me talk to us first. You know, I thought about the passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, where it says that we are those who have died to sin. So how can we live in it any longer? I hope that we are a, a, a family, that we are becoming a family, where it is safe for us to share the places that we struggle. That as we come together on Sundays, as we come together in our house churches, that we confess our sin, that we let people see into our lives and we help each other walk in repentance. But I also hope that, that reading this passage today, that we understand the, the responsibility to, to not just be humble when we've sinned, but to be humble when we go and point out other people's sins. That's a big deal. And so... Um, I, I want to encourage us to, to take this serious, to obey this as uncomfortable as it's going to be. Um, so here in a minute, we're going to take communion. And I want to encourage you to do a couple of things. I want to encourage you to confess sin if you need to do that. That As we break the bread and drink the cup, it's such a perfect place to just let people in and share the things that we're going so that sin doesn't just keep eating away at us and separating us from God. And so I encourage you to share that if you need to share in communion. I encourage you to pray for each other to pray that, that as a church, to pray that as individuals, we will be this type of people that are just so radically committed to, to this passage of instruction, you know, that, that we take certain passages of Scripture and we just die on those hills. Hey, we're going to love our neighbors ourselves. We're going to go into all the world and make disciples. And there are certain passages that we lift up and there are others that we just don't treat with the same authority. And I'm hoping that as a church we learn to treat every word of Jesus with the same authority, especially this one. As so I encourage you, as we're taking communion, share what seems hard about this. Share what seems hard about obeying this and living into this. And um, 
And let's, let's pray for each other that God would make us in this type of family. So that's for those of you who are Christians. For those of you who are not Christians, you know, my guess is you're probably thinking, wow, this is way too intense. I don't want anything to do with this. Like that's, that doesn't sound fun at all, like to be a part of a family like this. And the truth is it is intense. But once you've experienced the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, um, once you've been in that relationship with Christ, and you know His realness and you know His goodness, you understand how, how sin just has this way of distorting uh, the way you see Jesus and disrupting what you have with Jesus. And, and, and as a Christian, when you really understand the goodness and love of Jesus and what you have, you don't want to jeopardize that at all. You realize that He gave His life on the cross of Calvary. His blood was shed so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins. We could be lifted out of that so we could be, uh, live lives of freedom and joy and peace. And as Christians, we want that. For those of you who are not Christians, we want that deep in our being, deep in our core. And so I want to invite you, if you're not a Christian, to come to know Jesus. That come to the respond banner in the back and, and, or maybe you don't feel comfortable doing that but you feel comfortable talking with the person that you came with and as you take communion, share that with them. Say, hey, help me, help me get to know Jesus. I want to know Him. I want to know what He's like. And so, so this is the invitation that, that you would come to know Jesus, that you would even come and see what, 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 what Jesus is doing in the life and the heart of a believer that would even lead them to do things as uncomfortable as obeying this and how you could even care about someone so much. And so... I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll go to communion. I love you guys. Uh, let's pray. So, God, thank you. Yes, thank you for who you are. Thank you for these men and women, these children. I pray that your Holy Spirit um, would convict us where we're missing it, convict us of sin so that we can walk in repentance. God, would you help us to take your word serious, and not just your word serious, but let us take your ways serious. Let us adopt your, your very heart disposition. And, uh, and so, God, help us to be humble Help us to be compassionate. Make us into your people. Let people in the world see us and just see you, the tangible expression of who you are. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Father. We love you, Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.